Hey everyone, welcome to episode 182 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castoropo. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Eh, pretty good. I downloaded Slay the Spire on my phone today, mm-hmm. so I could play it at work, and I did. That's good. That's. See, I know that you've been having problems with being at work and not really having anything important to do while at work. So hopefully this takes some of the edge off of that. Yeah, it's well. So the this week and the last week, I've just been stockpiling work so I can train people on it. Because mm-hmm. I'm training people Thursday, Friday of this week and last week. Gotcha. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or sorry, <laughs> Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I just do the stuff that needs to get out the door the next day and i save everything else (laughs) which is not what i usually do yeah but that gives you plenty of time to kill the heart yeah wait Uh, it's kind of sucks because you can't export your saves or anything so i have to start from ascension zero which is kind of boring but i mean i get to play some meme decks so that's kind of cool yeah if it were a different game you know like Starting like Hades from scratch or something isn't bad because like you're unlocking stuff as you go and you feel like you're progressing. But Slay the Spire, you progress by learning things. And so you're literally just playing easier modes by, I mean, you unlock some cards, but it's, it's functionally the exact same game, no matter how long you play it. It's just, you are better at it. Well, how have you been? I've been good. I mean, you know, you saw me two days ago for a, for a little bit of vintage tournament coverage. Which, honestly, so I didn't, you know, spoil the last couple of podcasts we were talking vintage about, but my view of the format was pretty, not bad, not bad, really, Mm -hmm. just kind of like reserved. I didn't think it was, I didn't want to get excited over it. I didn't think it was going to be that great. Like some of the turns and even some of the games I played against like Dredge, Mm -hmm. just (laughs) so one-sided. Yeah. It's not like those don't exist in vintage still, but... There's a lot of really interaction and stuff that I wasn't expecting. And the, the, the tournament was really good. Yeah, it really was. And probably the best finals that we've had in any of our tournaments that we've covered. Like, Yeah, it was really well played. Especially like because the final turns were mm-hmm. so... Like everything was on the line. Yeah, the just person like... who was in the finals just declined the split every single opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and then that the finals itself... You know, both players played extremely well, like knew their decks, knew the matchup and and made like really intelligent decisions the whole time. Even if I weren't able to judge that on my own, we had several vintage luminaries in the chat, including like I am actually level one, just like kind of narrating alongside you guys and pointing out that like, yeah, these these guys are playing really, really well. And then add into how well the players were playing that it was just a super tight, super close match where every one of those decisions like ended up mattering. Like the the second to last turn of the game, there was a super huge decision of whether to attack the opponent down to one or attack the Narset down to one so the opponent could not minus the Narset. Like, is it more valuable to turn off Fetchlands and Force of Will or is it more valuable to turn off looking four deeper for an action card? And like... those decisions were happening constantly that match yeah it was a it was a really good finals if you're like slightly interested in vintage or even just good magic i would suggest you check it out if you have it on the manager's twitch page yeah yeah it was it was super fun to watch so i hope it was super fun to commentate too 
Oh, it was. I was enjoying it. <laughs> uh, it's kind of rough, too, because I haven't played a lot of Vintage, so I'm like, why is someone doing this? It's kind of weird. And I'm really glad Honorog was there. Because the answer to that question is like, well, because his opponent demonic tutored and he's thinking he demonic tutored for Tabernacle. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's not an interaction that can come up at any other point in any other format. Because the cards just start legal. Right. <laughs> it was also kind of cool to see Burgi. Like, there's a Burgi Breach deck that was... Uh, Musasabi. Yeah, Musasabi. Just in the top eight. It was really... Almost went undefeated in the tournament. Top eighted another challenge in Vintage yeah. the same weekend. <laughs> just... This guy... That, that, that deck was not, like, exceptionally innovative or anything it's really just kind of like putting burgy on top in a normal breach deck mm -hmm. but it was it was nice to see people playing around with new cards yeah even in vintage yeah and the the burgy top engine in addition to the rest of the deck was a great like kind of secondary plan obviously like it doubles it's not great against multiple thorns or whatever because it's still the storm game plan but like Burgi undoes a thorn, so that's nice. She doesn't use the graveyard. Like, I don't know. It was like a neat dimension. And yeah, new card. Also, just like the power level of a card that if you draw two copies of it, it combos with itself and like quadruples in power is like, that's a real thing. And, and the deck itself has so many different decision points helped by the fact that Burgi does a bunch of different stuff mm -hmm. that... The way our setup works for commentary is we have a 10-minute delay, right? So we put on, while the other match is finishing, like we're recording one, to put on the stream in 10 minutes so that people can't, you know, watch the stream and see their opponent's hands, for instance. So one of the games we were watching was Musasabi's game that was being queued up while I was about to, like, walk into the booth and start commentating it. And I usually I just don't watch these because I want to not know what's going to happen. But I had started watching this one because you, you and Chris were talking about it. And then I went into the room to commentate it. And I, I, I like half remembered what was going to happen. But I still wasn't sure because there were so many things that Musasabi could do. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm pretty sure I, I know what happens, but I, I'm not 100% certain. Yeah, and, and sometimes, like, the decision points between casting, like, casting Bergy versus the Horn are, like, huge and, and totally game-defining one way or the other. Like, the, the card is a cool addition to that deck and hopefully to other formats, too. I mean, we've seen some of it in other formats a little bit, but I don't think we've unlocked anything close to what that card is capable of. Yeah, I think I saw, like, Jarvis and a couple other vintage people saying they played a bunch with the Bergy Breach deck in the last few days. Mm-hmm. And that it was like mostly kind of just a muddled breach deck, like a little worse in most regards. But Burgi the card was really good. Mm -hmm. So they're going to try it in other shells. Yeah. And I mean, you can't play it with top in any other format. And that's really like what, you know, Burgi plus horn plus top is you get to go through your whole deck and then probably find a way to win because you've drawn your whole deck still just like getting a mana back for each spell and then the other side of your mana guy being a card advantage engine a card digging engine like yeah there's a lot there so I'm, I'm excited to see what else gets done with the card and i think that it is like in the realm of like good combos to have in formats 
as opposed to like here's breach and legacy like this is <laughs> completely untenable three lines like diamonds here you go bud mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's still like to me the coolest card to come out of called time and it was cool to see it do so well like weekend one in a vintage tournament yeah wasn't it both wasn't it like both of our favorite cards in called time yes without <laughs> yes. any coordination on that whatsoever so that's just a pretty cool call yeah and we'll we'll also get to talking about like standard called time week two and although it hasn't really made any waves in the like the overall meta of standard i have seen it in some kind of neat standard brews so we'll talk about those a little bit oh, later okay. yeah. i haven't seen any of those yet so <laughs> i think you have but they're, you're probably just not thinking because they're not really burgy decks but oh, probably probably but i mean as far as vintage goes we had eight different decks in our top eight if you look at sort of like the matchup percentages there's nothing that's super dominant you know we're not in the era of vintage where like shops was just overall a 60 plus percent win rate and you weren't really supposed to be playing anything else like enough artifacts have been restricted that you know it's it's <laughs> about even with the rest of the format I, I love referring to cards in commentary as the copy of card as opposed to a right. copy of card right he drew the trinosphere not a trinosphere the trinosphere <laughs> The list of one ofs in shops that would just be totally inoffensive cards, except that you have a land that is Black Lotus. Is yeah, Lodestone uh, Golem. Yeah, Lodestone Golem is restricted in vintage. That card wasn't playable, wasn't playable in any other format of Magic the Gathering. And it's restricted in vintage. That's wild. It's just like super good yeah it attacks for five yeah you play it on turn one they're taxed and then it kill it clocks them like <laughs> like if your thorns could just attack also karn lets you do that that's why that card's restricted not really but i, I think there's other reasons why that card is restricted <laughs> probably because it's busted it turns off your opponent's mana and tutors whatever you want yes yeah so what, what are the decks in the top eight we had a, a shops deck i know it was <laughs> the the person who's playing shops had never played a vintage tournament before. It's yes. their first vintage tournament ever. Yes. And they top eight it. That was pretty cool. Uh, let me see. Let me pull up the top eight so I don't say anything. I know there's the bridge Incur. breach. Yeah. So Sam Bogue on Bant Archon, which probably, you know, like after this tournament and after seeing it play out in, in the matches and stuff, like that deck embarrasses. It's super fair and it just embarrasses so many of the unfair decks. Yeah, Archon of Amiria is a card that's legal in standard, and it's a so good in vintage. Oh my god, it is perfectly tailored to vintage. Just like the things that it hates are the things that everybody else is doing. It uh, yeah, you can only cast one spell per turn. It's honestly just like a huge mana advantage card because mm -hmm. everyone in the format always cheats on mana, and the main way you do that is like Moxon, Lotus, Petal, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't play your Moxon before Archon comes down, you just can't play them anymore. Yeah. It takes up your entire turn. Right. Or if you want to draw cards and then cast them, if you if you recall with an Archon of Amaria out, you're, that's your turn. You can't use the cards you drew. Pass. Well, luckily um, that's an instance so you can at least use it on your opponent's turn. But Right. Yeah. But, like, you usually want to 
Like it's, it's completely screwing up your sequencing. You want to cast your recall and then do your breach stuff that you drew off of the recall. Like it's also super brutal when you like cast your ponder and you get your tap land and you're like, all right, here's a tap land, right? <laughs> or a land and it comes in play tapped because you can't right. do anything else. It's not a ton of basics in vintage. Yeah, right. It, it's completely screwing up your opponent's mana base because the mana base consists heavily of moxes, which you can't play a mox and cast a spell, and non-basics, which come into play tapped. So, and fetch lines in particular, if you don't have a basic left to fetch, then it comes into play tapped and then fetches a, comes into play tapped land. So... And it is brutal. Brutal when you get your, like, your basic and then it gets strip mined. <laughs> You're like, wait, hold on. <laughs> wait, I played around this. <laughs> well, that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so most of the strength of that Bant deck, this is like a Noble Hierarch deck in Vintage, but most of this, a lot of the strength of the deck comes from how good Archon of Emeria is, and then, you know, it's just playing good magic cards, uh, and it's extremely fair and wins the game by attacking for three or four a bunch of times. I need to pull up the, the top eight. I can't remember what was on it. What else is in the top eight? Uh, well, you know, a couple of... Xerox decks, although one of these is like a hybrid between, you know, like Jeskai. Jeskai Breach. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, one of the big takeaways from watching Vintage is like, in Vintage, like Breach is just a better card than than Yogwill. Like, it's just more powerful. It wins the game more consistently. It's easier to cast. It's a better color. And it does more with less. Yeah, the decks that play Yogwill instead of Underworld Breach are pretty much just Oath and Doomsday because mm -hmm. of mana requirements or in Oath's case, because you need to kill like immediately and you don't have a million mana. Right. But everything else, Breach is just like this incredible kill card plus engine plus card advantage card. Yogwell doesn't let you recall and then recall again out of your graveyard. So Breach is just a crazy powerful card. Yeah, we saw four recalls cast in the finals yeah. in one turn <laughs> or in one game. Yeah, that game ended in favor of the Breach player. Was... No, it didn't. They whiffed. Oh, that was the. Oh, that's right. That was the whiff game. They had the yeah. other game where they went off completely, though. And yeah, they won that one. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't quite cast as many recalls. They didn't I guess it wasn't four, but <laughs> <laughs> cool format. Probably not one I'm going to play much or any of going forward, just because there's not really. I don't know. Could could play a league or so, but the take my takeaway from here is like the best deck is. If you just want to win, is probably Bant Archon, but like what I would want to do is breach stuff. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel. I really thought Bant was going to win the tournament, mm -hmm. and then they just we didn't see what happened to them off camera. I just assumed they got like turn one, turn two, both games. Yeah, because that matchup was highly favorable if the Bant deck can just play cards. Right, but if there's just like a medium hand from the Bant deck, and then the breach deck, you know, even if the Bant deck plays like an early hate creature. And the the breach deck just like forces that, and then like recalls and goes off or something. Like that's a thing that can happen in vintage. And if that happens twice, then you just lose. And I want to be on the power side. I want to be on the recall side. Yeah. <laughs> but probably our audience doesn't want to hear too much about vintage. Now nah, we can move on to all all the other formats. To all of the other Tibbolts. Yeah. Can we talk about this card? Yeah. Holy crap! I, you know. We we did pick it as our best card in the set. So did we? Yeah, we pick, 
Okay, cool, good. Because well, we we said like Vorinclex and Tybalt are top two, and then yeah. we talked about how good Vorinclex was for a while, and then we came out with like, okay, yeah, but Vorinclex isn't going to be playable outside of standard, and Tybalt is going to be playable in every format. And I mean, even that came pretty short of what Tybalt is doing right now. <laughs> yeah, Tybalt has just ruined like two formats, Modern and Legacy. <laughs> And it's in the process of trying to compete with Uro and Omnath in Pioneer. Right. I'm honestly not confident it can do that, but the fact that you're trying to says something. And it's trying to do that on a fair basis in Pioneer. We're not even cascading into it in Pioneer. Yeah, so if you haven't heard for some reason, (laughs) Tibble of Cosmic Imposter and Valky, it's a a flip card, right? So if you cascade into Valky, which is a two-drop, Cascade lets you exile the card and then lets you cast it and then you can cast whatever half you want from there so if you ardent plea or violent violent outburst into valky which is guaranteed because cast how we built cascade decks forever is to just always maximize your chance of only getting the card you want right that's all the point yeah so you only get valky and then you always cast tibble and you can do that you know turn two turn three sometimes turn one if you draw a ton of spirit guides yeah and then because modern is especially like modern as of like when call time rotated in was a pretty grindy format based around uro and like mystic sanctuary stuff landing a seven mana planeswalker that draws you multiple cards a turn on turn two is good enough like that's going to beat everybody you can't beat that with an uro or a nomnath yeah it's crazy powerful card and you also can't beat it with your own tibble like the second tibble can't eat mm-hmm. the first one because it only grabs artifacts or creatures so you kind of get this rat race of you get your tibble first and then you just grab cards and since all the tibble decks are playing a ton of force forces mm-hmm. sometimes you just get a force off the top of their library or your library and you can force their tibble yep yeah I, I think that pretty clearly the so so this is just the only deck that you can justify playing if you want to win a modern tournament. Like you should not play anything except for a Tibble deck. If you do play a modern tournament, I think it's pretty clear that the Tibble deck that you should play is one of these completely inbred blue versions that plays Teferi's, because Teferi shuts off your opponent's cascade, uh plays a a bunch of the cheaty counter spells that you can't cascade into, but can counter things. So mystical dispute, force of negation, in particular, and oh, you know, and my favorite one, mm-hmm. uh, the split card. What's it called? Oh, the the white blue one. Yes, it's the one that has like a you silence them for a card with the one side of it, right? Like, yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, I used to call to heal. Is that what it is? No, no, that's a bounce spell. Failure to comply. Failure to comply. Card is failure to comply. So one side, failure is one in a U to return target spell to its owner's hand. So that can that's a counter spell for Tibble because it's seven mana. And comply is the probably lesser used side. It's a white sorcery. You can only cast from your graveyard because it's an aftermath card. And it's just choose a card name until your next turn. Opponents can't cast spells with that name. But that means that either side of this stops Tibble. So if you if you failure it and then they cascade again, then you can cast comply in response to the cascade trigger and name Tibble, and then they can't cast it. Yeah, you can only do that if a Teferi Time Rubber is plus because it is a sorcery. Oh, it's a sorcery. Okay, yeah. well then I guess you cast it on your turn and that keeps them off of being able to do it 
but you mostly play it because it's a two mana piece of interaction that right. you can't cascade into. Right, right, right. Yeah, and so some of these lists are also running Brazen Borrowers or even Bone Crusher Giant, like some cheap stuff. But yeah, the the cards, you know, you're you're constrained by you can't run actual two mana spells. So you want to find something for when you don't have Simeon Spirit Guide. I think that there's very few non-Valky decks that can keep up with these things. I think the list is basically like Burn and Mill can do it because you're interacting on axes that these decks are not prepared to deal with. But that's probably not true for every build of these. Yeah, I think Infect, too, you can make a case for. Sure. It's a, a counterspell deck. Mm-hmm. That's also kind of burnish. Yeah. Granted, you'll probably have to build your deck a little differently, just because like the format is so inbred amongst this super powerful... Like The decks are playing Teferi Time Robber and Simeon Spirit Guide in them. Like, have you? What yeah. deck does that? Right, right. And that's why I would lean probably more towards Burn or Mill first. Rather that because like Teferi's really good against Infect. True. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, that is one of them that that can. But I I don't think that it's a good idea to play anything except for a Valky deck if you're playing in a modern tournament. It seems clearly wrong. Or, and this is not especially a hot of a take, because you know there are only online tournaments and Valky's a million tickets. Mm-hmm. If you don't enjoy the gameplay, just. Don't play modern for a couple weeks. I, yeah, I think that that's actually the correct play, probably. That's most likely what I'm going to be doing, even though... So, the next Mana Traders is modern, and I pray that WotC changes the format in some way before that actually happens, because I'm probably not going to play any modern to prepare for the tournament if it's this garbage, falky nonsense. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the players won't enjoy playing it, because everyone's been complaining about it. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think the solution here is a rules change. like Yeah, I think that's some popular opinion, too. Yeah. And it doesn't really affect anything that we want to do in Magic. If you just change the rule to be like, yeah, if you exile a card to cast with something, like, you can only cast a thing that your effect would allow you to cast. Like, you can't cascade into a 7-mana spell with your 3-mana spell. You have to cast the bulky side. Like... There's probably several fixes, but I don't think it stops us from doing anything that we want the game to allow us to do to just not let us cascade into expensive spells. Yeah, I think changing the rule on cascade itself is probably the most elegant to mm-hmm. prevent the shenanigans like that. Because if you look in Pioneer, there's a deck that was trying to uh, Valky its way. It didn't do that great. Oh, well, I guess 7th place was just a Nave Mizzet deck, which did have Bring to Light in it, which mm-hmm. you, has the same Cascade thing. But Bring to Light's not nearly as offensive to me as a, a three-mana card, because it's five-mana. Yeah, I would be... And it's harder to set up. I'm, like, pretty okay with you not being allowed to Bring to Light into Tybalt either, though. Like, Bring to Light I mean, I mean a, sure. but like, That's a lot uh, but, of turn four Tybalt's if that is still allowed to happen. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, you can change it. But this, like, this list I was going to say in... I don't even know what place it got... There's a blue, black, red deck that's like a Luris Jace deck mm-hmm. that's playing four Valky and four Release to the Wind, which is a card from <laughs> Ixalan. You may not remember. It's a 2U instant that exiles target non-lane permanent. And then you can and cast it. And for as long it for as it's exiled, <laughs> yeah. you can cast it for free. 
So the joke is you play Valky and then yeah. exile it while it's still in play and then cast it. I mean, that's cute. That doesn't offend me. Like, that existing <laughs> doesn't offend me. That's similar to, like, blinking your raven into all run. Like, I'm fine with that. But I'm okay with it as a casualty of, like, let's stop cascading and bring the lighting into Tybalt. Yeah, I think uh, that just needs to happen. Some fix to the double face card exile rule. Yeah. I think that's the most reasonable thing. I mean, they, they fixed it with, like, they don't allow us to Goblin Dark Dwellers into Boombust anymore, so. True. I mean, my radical take is just to ban all cards from Cascade from all competitive formats. Because <laughs> I maintain that Cascade has really done nothing except for, like, be absolutely broken or trick people into playing bad decks and no in-between. Well, yeah. I mean, Bloodbraid Elf... Like that, that's the bad deck. <laughs> right, it forces you to build your deck in a worse way in order to make your Bloodbraid Elves good because that's the only way you can buy back power is by having good Bloodbraid Elves in your deck. It uh, like that's one of the main reasons why I don't like Jund is because of that tension between like playing good cards and all of your cards are worse than Bloodbraid Elf, but you have to make your deck bad to make it good. Yeah, I, I and I actually like Cascade. I think it's like a pretty cool mechanic and fun. Mm-hmm. Especially Unlimited, and I like all the Commander Legends Cascade cards for like casual formats and stuff. Mm-hmm. But in Constructed, it's just so boring. You just build your deck to only Cascade into one card, yeah. and then that's all it is. Yeah. Or you're playing Jund and you're awful. <laughs> yeah, so I, I... Right. It doesn't need to be a thing in the format at all. Like... Probably they are not going to ban all Cascade cards. That doesn't seem like a likely result of this. There's already... Oh, no, I guess uh, Hypergenesis didn't have Cascade. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I you, you can't ban every card that you could Cascade into that is... I mean, oh, I guess no, that's you, absurd. I mean, I guess you can, because it's... Like, Cascade hasn't been a problem until Tybalt was printed. So, like, that's not a completely out-of-left-field solution here. But, I mean, the the correct solution here is a rules change. And I hope it happens soon. And honestly, I have very low faith for Wizards to make that decision soon. Because they've been slacking on all of their formats for, like, a year now. Yeah, they just don't pay attention to Modern at all. Or Pioneer. Mm -hmm. Or Legacy. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, this is disguising as well the other, like, nonsense Cascade combo <laughs> that became a thing after Caldheim's release, which is Cascading into Tybalt's Trickery. Another Tybalt card? Yeah, so you Cascade into Tybalt's Trickery. I, I mean, it, there's different ways to build this deck. I... You know, one way is to build it so it's just... Your deck is only Violent Outbursts, Tybalt's Trickery, like one Tybalt's Trickery, and Emrakul's, so that you hit the Tybalt's Trickery, target your Violent Outburst with the Tybalt's Trickery, turn the Violent Outburst into Emrakul. I've seen more of these that are just like... More Cascade cards, and then a lot of big things to make it likely that that's what you hit. Yeah. Like 12 original Eldrazi. Yeah. But you might also hit like a another like a spirit guide or something, or your 
or you have multiple Tybalt's trickeries in your deck, so you can hit Tybalt's trickery and fail. Um, so I don't know what's the better no, one. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, you can hit Tybalt's trickery. Well, can't your first, your second Tybalt's trickery counter the second one? No, it's like, not on the stack anymore. Doesn't it? I need to read this card. I, you, you, you may be right. I haven't really looked into it, but I thought that when spells are... If it's put on the stack, you can just... Yeah, it's it's still on the stack while it's resolving. Like the the second Tibble strictly can target it, but I guess it will no, fizzle. My understanding is that if you hit Tibble's trickery with a Tibble's trickery, you miss. Like like that that's no good. You won't get to win the game from there. Okay, I gotcha. So hitting Tibble's trickery with Tibble's trickery is bad. That's a whiff. Yeah. Gotcha. I I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that's. Like I'm pretty confident that that is what the discussion has been. Is like that's a, that's a fail. Is is hitting your tibble's trickery? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Also, it, I haven't seen it matter too much because mm -hmm. like the other tibble deck just plays a million Teferis and counter spells. Yeah, I would not want to be playing the worst Cascade deck in the Teferi, like in the the meta game where the better Cascade deck is built to beat the Mirror. So, like one of these decks gets to play Force of Negation and the other one just can't. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, right. That deck can play a bunch of real cards in it. So I, I would choose to, to play that one. Or not modern. Choose not to play modern. <laughs> That's fine, too. But, but if your goal is to, you know, play the, the Manitrader's tournament, just, you know, hop on in Magic Online, try to qualify with the Tibble deck. Yep. I know Sean in our Discord, like, sped, speed run to the... Uh, qualification and did it in like a day with a tibble tech <laughs> yeah uh i mean i imagine your matches are very fast somebody gets a tibble out and you can just go to the next game people just play it out though yeah. tibble, well, tibble's not emrickle it doesn't win the game on the spot yeah and it's just especially slow. if you have brazen borrowers in your deck then you can get your tibbles out bounce their tibbles and then you're probably way ahead which is why it's important to be packing the like Failure to complies and the counter spells and stuff like that. Right, right. Man, inbred weird one card combos are not good for the format. Oh, absolutely not. Oh well, hope something changes. Yeah, I mean it has to. Modern can't stay like this. Unless <laughs> Watsy just forgets about it. <laughs> like Pioneer, surely Inverter will be legal for a month. What we is said. In March 2020? Yeah, good lord. What is the over-under on the number of sets we can go before we get one that doesn't fundamentally destroy one or more formats of Magic the Gathering? I'm going to assume something in Strixhaven breaks it, but then the D&D &D set is safe. That's my call. Yeah, if that's all just like creature-type-based mechanics. Or just random corset stuff that's not exciting. Like, corsets very rarely break formats. There was the one with Field of the Dead that was the outlier, because it also had Veil of Autumn yeah. and, or Veil, Veil of Summer, Summer and all that stuff. Field of the Dead, yeah. But other than that, like, even the one with Nexus of Fate was, like, a pretty bad corset. Yeah, but Nexus of, Nexus of Fate still did screw up multiple formats really badly. It was kind of just standard, right? I mean, it's also banned in historic it, so it is banned in historic and pioneer, and pioneer but i don't think it's like 
really responsible for being banned in Pioneer. I have like no idea why they banned it. Sure. Anyway, my point is the core sets are usually pretty safe. So I, I think you know Strixhaven will break magic again, and then we'll get to the nice safe set. Was there nothing broken in Corset 2021? I don't even remember Corset 2021. Is yeah. that the one Bosri Ket in it? And Ugin? Yeah. So no. I'm just taking a quick scroll through to double check. A quick scrollsy. Yeah. No, these are all pretty medium, and actually some bunch of cards that I really like that just haven't gotten a chance. I think Maze Mind Tome was like the best card in that set. Yeah, pretty right? much. No I mean, one's. I mean, Ugin is very good. It's a reprint, though. Yeah. Maze Mind Tome is definitely like the best new one. But like Teferi is. Oh, Conspicuous Snoop's in there. I didn't think that broke anything. It didn't really break anything. It's actually like a pretty good addition to a lot of stuff. <laughs> I mean, maybe you can make arguments for breaking historic, but historic's trash, so who cares? Well, yeah, and it's not good in historic. I think it's a bad addition to historic. Like, it's a bad deck to have in historic, but it's certainly not breaking the format. I honestly admire goblins for being a deck in historic just because it doesn't have a row in it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like playing with or against it at all so that's fair I, I don't play it i don't like playing against it the games are usually pretty fast yeah but like the games you lose are like games you couldn't do anything about and the games you win is because like nope they didn't have it on turn four and now i kill you it, it's just bad gameplay want to talk about some standard though or yeah. do you want to yeah anything more to say on modern no there is nothing more to say on modern i don't recommend playing it <laughs> all right the fun format is it time for the fun format yeah standard's good i think standard's cool and and your your favorite baby croxa is back oh totally yeah rakdos you know if we look at like the meta breakdown from this past weekend which is mostly the seg tour satellites and the call time championship qualifier uh rakdos midrange the you know, one of the two best performing decks in the field. 56% win rate versus the meta. Mostly because I think it really preys on... Is it Tempo and Demir Rogues? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's really good in those matchups. Just because of the inevitability. Yeah, Counterspell deck can't beat Kroxa. Like, it, it, it just can't. When I was spending a lot of time playing Kroxa in Standard, every time my opponent played an island, it just felt like the game was over from the start. And I think that continues to be true. Yeah, and you get to play Valky now too, which is nice. I mean, some of these decks are playing more and less copies. I mean, one thing that we should talk about with regards to Rakdos Midrange is the sort of hybridization of some of these lists where they're playing like kind of sacrifice-y decks, but you're not going all in on sacrifice. It's mostly just because like Claim the Firstborn is really good if you can sacrifice the creature and then that ends up with you playing like claim the firstborn woe strider uh village rights and like some acroan wars in your otherwise like mid-rangey graveyard deck and i i hate it i hate the way these decks look i hate the way they play out when they win it feels like they just kind of like face rolled on their keyboard into accidentally drawing the right combination of cards to get there i hate these decks I I don't like them as much as the conventional mid-range black red version because I think it's a little more stable. 
but I do like, let me try and find it. I know there was a Jund one that did well at some tournament this weekend, but it played like a bunch of Corvolds in it. Sure. And I'm kind of into that. Like if you want to play a Sacrohoist deck, just add green and only play Corvold. Maybe some sideboard cards. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm down for that if that like is more of your actual game plan. But if your game plan other than the sacrifice stuff is Timurit calls the dead, Meyer Triton, Kroxa removal spells, like it it is just like two halves put like it is a cheese sandwich and a peanut butter sandwich put together at that point. I I will say that like Emmerstrom Predator is that mm-hmm. the name of that card? Yeah, the the one that has like incidental graveyards hate mm-hmm. is like pretty good in Roctos mirrors and it's just like maybe pretty good card in general like right. the graveyard stuff comes up way more often than i thought it would yeah and and that right so that card is pretty good and it has a sacrifice ability which makes you kind like helps bridge that gap and then makes you be like well but then i could play claim and then i think that screws you up and then you end up playing a bunch of cards that you shouldn't be playing well, yeah, yeah. I, so what I what I come down on is I like the mid range Rakdos deck, and you can play a couple Emerson Predators and don't go ham yeah. on like the Acroanor and whatever. I think Village Rights the card is still fine, but you don't need to combo it with anything. But uh, Emerson Predator and Corvold are like good enough. Plus the just how good the sacrifice deck is against like other Kroxa decks because mm-hmm. you can claim their Kroxa and do all sorts of shenanigans to it. I, I think it's just fine yeah like if you want to do sacrifice stuff i don't hate it i just would prefer playing corvold because i think that's a really good top end yeah i i think i agree there and corvold also gives you like the rectos decks are terrible at finishing games which is why they are so bad against like the ultimatum decks in the format both mm-hmm. the teamer and the salt ultimatum are seeing a reasonable amount of play and rectos can't really reasonably beat either of those decks but if you untap with Corvald, you win the game so you can at least put that sort of clock on the game where maybe you can duress them play a Corvald, hope they don't draw anything in like the the turn before that or that turn and then if they didn't then you untap with Corvald and you just kill them so like i'm into that idea yeah i i i don't love the like Lurus or even non Lurus because you can't play Lurus so they were sure better. But like those sacrifice stuff decks, mm-hmm. I don't. With just Black Red, I'm not a fan. And the the benefit of not doing sacrifice stuff is you don't have to draw claim the first board. <laughs> right, you don't have to draw claim the first one where when it's bad. You don't have to draw Woe Strider when your opponent is attacking you with like adventure creatures or whatever. I mean, I guess Moist Rider is like medium. Moist Rider is medium okay in a bunch of situations, but never actually what you want in a mid range deck unless you are doing the sacrificing stuff. And and also you get to play Egon, God of Death, and Throne of Death, and you just get to play them as four ofs in the non sacrifice version. And I think that's really good. I I haven't played too much against or with Egon yet, but I've seen it in these lists, mm-hmm. and I want to be impressed by the card because I really like it. Uh, every game on stream I've seen where Throne of Death was the turn one play, like Rakdos just seemed like a totally different deck, just like powered up to to its maximum potential. And so, yeah, it's kind of like what we were talking about when we were looking at Throne of Death and talking about how uh, Timret calls the dead, how that card was so important for the old Rakdos decks, but so lackluster. Mm-hmm. And Throne of Death is like really good. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I I think that if you're going to do sacrifice stuff, I would want to <laughs> go pretty deep into it and probably want some payoff like Korvald. If you're not going to do that, then I would just shy away from sacrifice stuff as much as I can. Uh, it, it just... Claim is really, really good and really good in the Rakdos mirrors, so I get that that pushing you towards it, but like you just draw the wrong parts of your deck put together, and it looks like pathetic sometimes. Also, I, I think your window to play Rakdos is usually pretty so short because there's a lot of really big things to do in this format, mm -hmm. and Rakdos struggles against those. Yeah, like especially the ultimatums specifically. Right. So you really got to pick your spots. Yes. Um, and so people are still playing team or ultimatum, but like the new hotness and the deck that did the better of the two ultimatum decks this weekend is Sultai Ultimatum. And I mean, there's really two Sultai decks now, and they're kind of new, both pretty heavily based on the power of Binding the Old Gods as a big reason to play them at all. They're both Yorion decks. There's a mid-rangey or controlish version that just kind of has more removal spells and goes up to Ugin. And then there's a rampier version that is going harder on cultivates and stuff and plays the ultimatum and then has to play big stuff to get with the ultimatum, which is why it has to be a Yorion deck, even though Yorion is intensely medium in it. But you, you can't fit all these expensive cards into a 60-card deck. Well, it's kind of nice because you can cheat. Uh, it's Emergent Ultimatum. Mm -hmm. If you haven't played Standard in a while, it's the Sultai one, which is triple green. Uh, you grab three monocolored cards, your opponent picks one of them, and you can cast the other two. Mm -hmm. you, you get to tutor for your through your deck for those three cards. So what's neat is that you can grab Valky, because it's a black card, <laughs> <laughs> and then cast Tybalt. <laughs> but that's like not that busted, because the original Ultimatum is a seven card, right. a seven you, mana card. You paid seven, it's fine. You can grab, like, Vorinclex, uh, Seagate Restoration is a nice one. Yeah. Because it's a blue card. Um, All Runs Epiphany is one of the big ones mm -hmm. as well. That's kind of it. That's, oh, it... what's the green... Vorinclex, obviously. What's the green uh, artifact that makes cats? Oh, uh, Asika's Chariot? Yeah. I, I've seen an alarming number of my opponents play that card. It's more of a Yorion value card than a thing that you get with Emergent Ultimatum, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just like that card, I guess. Yeah. Um, Hold on, let me... There's, like, one big card that we're missing, right? The QR Best the Sea God. Um, sometimes you get... Sometimes you just get a Shark Typhoon with it, depending on what is in your hand as well. Oh, QR Best the Sea God. That's right. That's the one I usually don't let my opponents have. <laughs> right, so it's that must mean it's important to have in the deck. But yeah, I think this Sultai deck is quite good. The Ultimatum deck in particular. The Sultai Control deck is, like, fine, but it doesn't... It never really looks like it's doing anything worth... I mean, it feels like it's missing Uro, basically. Like, you're playing an Uro deck that doesn't have Uro in it. Yeah, I... Control decks in this format are really hard. Mm -hmm. to build because you can play a lot of really good cards and we saw it with blue black control like not too long ago but you really miss the huge end game or like piece together factor because yorian is a good card but it really just draws you more cards most of the time and if you're just drawing more removal spells and your opponent's got 
are playing rogues or something and just attacks you on a completely different angle. Mm-hmm. You're just not prepared to win that. So I like having in any long game deck that I play, I like having a, a big game plan, like an ultimatum. Yeah. Ugin can be that, depending on when, where the format is. But I think as long as Rogues is popular, it's hard to justify Ugin being your endgame. Right. I mean, Emergent Ultimatum isn't any better against Rogues than Ugin is. No, but the cards you play with it let you compete more. Like, you're actually playing threats in your deck, like Auron's Epiphany or mm-hmm. even Valkyr of Orinclex. Right. Like, you have actual cards that do something. Yeah. Instead of just playing Solemn Solemn Crimes and going into Ugin. That's true. So kind of where the format has shaped out right now is it really feels like pretty rock, paper, scissorsy, like, especially like given the gaps in, I mean, there, there are games that feel pretty over on turn one, just based on the matchup. You've got these ultimatum decks and they beat the hell out of Rakdos in particular, but also just like kind of the mid rangey board control decks in general. They have a really tough time against, is it tempo to some extent? But I think Rogues is really the playable and like evergreen in this format blue deck. Like, I think is it tempo is going to disappear in a couple of weeks. It, it just doesn't offer too much uniqueness from Rogues. Like, Gold Spin Dragon is really good, mm-hmm. but I don't know what you get really much other than that. Well, and looking at these matchup profiles, like, it's not even significantly better against Rakdos than Rogues. So. Like, and that would be my reason to play a different blue deck is like, okay, this can also beat Rakdos, but you just still lose to Rakdos with, with Is It Tempo. So I, I would much rather play Rogues, which just has a diversity of game plans and more powerful cards, including into the story. So that beats up on the ultimatum decks and then obviously just like kind of never beats Rakdos. But if you are good with rogues and understand the matchup philosophy, I think you buy a lot more percentage points than the matchup percentage would tell you, especially against Rakdos players who don't understand the matchup. Yeah, because it's not cut and dry. You can't just throw Crooks at your deck and win 100% of the time. Right. And if you're playing against uh, an opponent who like automatically takes out all of their self-mill because they're playing against rogues, and then you your sideboard strategy is like take out my one drops be a different deck then they're going to lose that game most of the time so yeah, all of a sudden their deck doesn't really function right so like there are jukes and there are things that you can do you know you take a an average rogues player playing against an average rakdos player like that's what's going to get reflected in the meta breakdown but if you know how to play rogues and you know how to play the matchup and you play against an average Rakdos player, like you're by, I think you can buy a lot of percentage points. And a matchup will never be good, but no, it's it's not going to be insurmountable, right? Like you can surprise people for sure. And I think that there are ways to transform your rogues deck. In particular, now you can sideboard Shadows Verdict in rogues, and I think completely transform how you are battling a Rakdos opponent. That card just like crushes most versions of the Ra- the Rakdos deck, and in particular, the sacrifice version of the Rakdos deck is just kind of keels over to Shadow's Verdict. Yeah, it just gets rid of everything, and it, it clears out the graveyard too, which is super niche, but really important in that spot. Yes, and you know it only really works if you have a pretty transformational sideboard strategy from Rogues that involves taking out a lot of your own creatures but i think that that may be the winning way to engage in these battles right now but anyways i will i will keep like kind of recommending that people 
play rogues a lot in standard so they have that so you have it as a tool in your toolbox because it's good a lot of weeks of standard so what have you thought about the aggro decks that popped up like mostly the boros one and kind of naive adventures we talked about it the last time but boros is pretty whatever if you don't draw showdown it feels medium <laughs> so i i i hate the boros deck I really just don't like it very much. Mm-hmm. But I will say that, like, Usher of the Fallen into Luminar Casperant mm-hmm. is, like, pretty good. And I've lost to it, like, a fair time when I don't have removal. Sure. And Showdown of the Skulls, yeah, obviously they need it to compete. But the deck is not, like, a one trick pony. Mm-hmm. Like, if they don't draw Showdown of the Skulls, they're just dead. Okay. Um, have you seen versions playing the Glorious Anthem? as well because i know like you can like bridge your creature like you can have a lot of warriors depending on how you build it so i don't know if they're doing that yet i haven't played against it yet i haven't even seen deck lists of it i've mostly just seen showdown of the skulls is like the only thing in the enchantment slot i guess clarion spirit too is a card i i actually really like in that deck yeah that's true clarion spirit is really sweet like you you talked it up i think in the set review i was not (laughs) I was kind of skeptical, but every time it's been in play, I just really liked it. <laughs> yes. Put one on the board. Oh, yeah. The board you keep right next to your desk of how right you are. Well, I have a board next to my desk, but I, it's a bulletin board, and right now I don't have a paper with time CCR was right on there. But maybe. I've got some space. You could just do days since CCR was wrong. <laughs> just, <laughs> just keep resetting it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, screwed that up. I gotta go update the board. <laughs> uh, man, I should really just keep this at zero. Yeah, this is this is not great. <laughs> I'm never gonna use this ten that I bought. Good lord. <laughs> well, it's like the Olympic ten. When you've when you've hit that mark, you've really done it. Yeah, it's more aspirational. Just the fact that it exists is like a reason to keep going. Yeah, exactly. Oh, one thing that I do want to talk about as well. Oh yeah, Nia Adventures is fine. Like. If you want to play adventures, you can play it. I don't have any reason to or not to. I do think that potentially for this week, you may want to either figure out a way to play four color adventures or switch off of. I mean, switching off of showdown seems bad, but uh, I think counter spells are going to be really important this week. I think being able to negate an ultimatum is just going to be super good. Is there. I'm trying to think if you can maybe go. I mean, you can Tybalt's Trickery and Ultimatum in Naya Adventures. All right, I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to play Tybalt's Trickery in Standard. <laughs> it's just, people have done it. I've watched Min Gucci try to stream it. It just, it's a real mixed bag. Um, one other option is, if you don't want to play Blue, you can play Redain, and that makes Ultimatums very difficult to cast. If you are clocking your opponent, tacking a, a two-man attacks onto there means that that's probably not going to happen. Redain has been like pretty good in the uh, sideboards of the white decks. Mm-hmm. Whenever I see like someone playing against a white deck, and it's it's a tempo, and they have Snowlands in their deck, they're just like, no, no, <laughs> why? <laughs> it's real rough. It does that a frostbite out of those decks, so you gotta walk the tightrope a little bit, figure out just the right spot. It's true. I hmm. I was looking through like random deck lists. I saw a Jeskai deck and I clicked on it, but it's mostly just a kind of weird 
Jeskai Tempo deck with Shell Shield, which is a hexproof card. Oh, sure. So you can Shell Shield your Goldspan Dragon. Wow, I hate saying this Shell Shield. <laughs> yeah, shell, shell Shield is only good when you have Roost of Drakes out and it makes a 2 2. So. <laughs> I'm probably not going to do that in standard. No, probably not. Did you see any like cool decks that caught your eye? Oh, yeah. Or play against any? Oh, yes. Do you know about the uh, Rune Storm deck? I do, as a matter of fact. Okay, good. So this but is. But I've seen like. A few different versions. I know Strotsky was playing one, and then Abe Corrigan mm -hmm. was playing a different rune. He's been playing a lot of rune piles, and I'm just kind of yeah. following along. Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't know where we end up. I like probably this deck doesn't end up being a, a huge player in the format because it did exist before this weekend, and it didn't really show up to crush anything. So, you know, if it were just straight up broken somebody would have used you know a kind of poorly optimized shell and and crushed with it 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 might be an option but it is really really cool regardless of how good it is it's so, really fun yeah um it's kind of like a storm deck it is it's just, it's just straight i called it rune storm like yeah it, it, i mean for for those of you who aren't familiar with it it uses the runes which are enchant permanents that draw a card and then like give a small bonus to the thing they're enchanting so so the thing about the runes is you can enchant anything so you don't have to worry about like if they have mana up you don't have to target your creature with it because you can put them on a land in order to draw the card and, and keep casting spells mm -hmm. um they only give a bonus to creatures or equipment if they are on there and they give them you know lifelink or haste or whatever but they draw a card you can make them cheaper with Runeforge Champion, which lets you cast runes for one generic mana. If you are targeting Goldspan Dragon with them, you get treasures back. If you have a Burgi in play, you get a mana back each time. If you have a Showdown of the Skulls, you get a plus one, plus one counter for each rune you cast. And so you can kind of just go off and storm off and just make a giant creature and kill them with it. So testing Champion too lets you mm -hmm. draw cards while you're playing runes and it gets bigger. Yeah, that's true. I have mostly seen these in like Boros or Jeskai versions, but you may, yeah, maybe another payoff like Showdown would be good. So Naya does give you s the Ranger's Guile Snake something. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, true. That lets you target Goldspan Dragon to protect it, mm -hmm. which is really nice. Yeah, I mean, if you're white, you get to play um, Sajiri. Uh, Whatever it's called. The backside of the land. The backside of the land, yeah. yeah. So you do get a protection spell kind of regardless. It's just nice to have a one mana one, mm -hmm. I think. And also, I like the redundancy. Of, I haven't played well, any of these decks If you have yet. Goldspan Dragon out, the difference between a one mana protection true, spell and a true. two is, is minimal. Well, sometimes you don't get to attack with Goldspan Dragon right away. Or, I'm sorry, you don't get to have the mana right away because they want to kill your goldsmith dragon so playing it on six with a protection spell is way different than playing it on seven well but if they target it you get a treasure oh that's true yeah i yeah. see i haven't played these decks i've just been watching them yeah so i missed interactions like that yeah so like that that land is is a really good protection spell for your dragon that you will be playing because you're playing showdown of the skeletons in this deck so and the first, the first one I saw of this was actually Naya, and it played the uh, Transcendent Envoy, I think of the name of it. Yes. The one in a white, or yeah. all get reduced by one. 
So like the runes just cost zero with Runeforge Champion <laughs> on the card in play. You just cast them all from their deck, and I was like, oh, this this is kind of cool. Yeah, and I mean but that I card's so bad. It does give you a two that you can, but like, I don't know. I'd probably just rather play copies of Bergy over it. I think. Yeah, I, I think with Transcendent are always really bad. Yeah, but it was it was cool to see the first time. I, I think there's a, like a lot of fail state draws for this deck, but it is really cool. So I, I want to experiment with it a little bit and see what build is what's the right way to do it. It's hard because like it 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 really plays out more like a storm deck and it's really hard to fit actual early plays into the deck that can help keep you from getting run over because you just have very little room in the deck. It's like a cycling deck. You have to put a bunch of air in there and then your enablers are, you know, all the stuff that goes with it are like three, four, and five mana cards and there's no room for, like, very little room for cheap removal spells or anything like that. Yeah. It is a cool engine, though. It's super cool. Okay, I really like it. It probably will never get there because it's just too many moving pieces of honestly kind of bad cards. Yeah. But eh, it's kind of neat. Maybe they'll print more runes in the next sets and Runeforge Forger, Runeforge Champion. Runeforge Champion. Maybe it'll just be able to get more stuff. But yeah. probably not. Does it Runeforge Champion tutors up? Specifically a rune. So three mana, two, three. When it enters the battlefield, you can search your library and or graveyard for a rune card, reveal it, put it into your hand. And then you can pay one rather than pay the mana cost for rune spells you cast. So yeah, I mean, it it is absolutely a really cool engine. I, I the deck is super neat, and I would be interested in a version that plays a bunch of Berkies if I can if I can do that because Berkie seems great and like a way to mitigate some of your bad draws. Yeah, I'm I'm not super sold. I think Berkie's a good card in the deck, right? But I don't think it's the reason to play mm-hmm. the deck. The thing I like the most is the showdown of the skulls with Goldspin Dragon stuff. Because yeah. you can just cast all the cards you play off of the showdown of the skulls, right. which is really powerful. And maybe this deck just goes away from that, like a turbo runing, and just tries to generate some mana to use a really efficient showdown of the skulls. Yeah, I mean, I think the, like, cards that target Goldspan Dragon that draw a card are, like, a really big key to that process. Yeah, that's fair. And the runes are really good for that. Yeah. Maybe if we can trim some of the, like, mediocre stuff and put real cards in the deck. Maybe not go so ham on runes playing, like, 12 or whatever. Yeah, I have no idea how to build this deck properly. It's probably you are pulled in a lot of directions and the deck space is really constrained, but I really did like the version with the testing champion. I saw though. I think that's the first place I'd start. Okay. Yeah. I could be into that. I do like the testing champion. I really want to, I think this got mentioned on the arena deckless podcast, but I really would love it. If there were a deck that you could play, uh, Nico Aris and, Arcana of Sun's Grace together. Plussing? Or whatever. I guess minus one But activating your Planeswalker, getting the 2-2 Pegasus in addition to getting the shard. Like, that just seems really good. I, I think you're playing too many... Like, the deck is really hard to build. Like, that, that becomes your top end, and that top end is not good enough to keep up with ultimatums. So you have to keep up with the ultimatums with counterspells. 
and then you're running out of space for cheap stuff. Yeah, for enchantments, especially because Glass Casket is your two-mana removal spell, which is bullshit. So No, I actually really like that. <laughs> it's just very frustrating. <laughs> it's just set design at its finest, just making sure there was an artifact sub-theme block right before the enchantment, the enchantment block. Uh-huh. Just peak, peak card design. Yeah. Oh, man, they can't. They can't have an enchantment. They can't trigger their Archon. And if it were an enchantment, then your opponent couldn't kill it with Embrace Shieldbreaker. Like, come on. You, this has to be an artifact. Yeah, we're not going to make an adventure creature that can kill an enchantment. No, no. Why, Heavens. why isn't there an adventure creature that can kill an enchantment? Because there's no Embrace in Glamour Breaker. Like, that. come on. Yeah, with some completely inscrutable but still weirdly... It's, it's like completely inscrutable art for the the storybook version that I'm just still strangely drawn to, despite it being inscrutable. Yeah, it's just slightly shinier because it kills enchantments. Yeah. Oh, let's see what else is going on. Other than the rune stuff, mm, that looks like we talked about all the all the bullet points we've put down under standard. Yeah, I don't know if I have any special decks. I was selling. I was mostly playing with uh, ultimatum decks. Whenever I got a moment to play standard. Sure. And I just kind of played against the old standby. I did see an Ugin deck that was like black, red, iron Craig feet into Ugin with Valky. Mm-hmm. That was kind of cool. It didn't really work because the, the random requirements for iron Craig feet <laughs> really clashed with wanting to play black cards early. Yeah. But I, I kind of liked that someone tried it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that's cool, like, pretty much big red, but, like, you have to play black. And, like, Valky is a really good addition to a big red deck because it's very good on turn two, even when you're not burning their two drop, which is, like, the only thing that big red is capable of. Do- I guess they can play Maze Mind Tome, but, you know, having... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do not disparage Maze Mind Tome on this podcast. No, no. I mean, Maze Mind Tome is great, but having, like... And a couple extra cards that are good to do on turn two that aren't like, I hope they play a two drop so I can do three <laughs> damage to it. Like, that's nice. It's also probably really good that Valky can just take a Lovestruck Feast because the red decks are <laughs> not, yeah, not good against Lovestruck Feast. Another thing that Black Mana does help you with, you get to play Extinction Event and Heartless Act. Uh, did you, there's the mono blue deck too, the snow one. People, I've seen people play that more and more. I'm still kind of on the fence about it. I've seen Nassif playing with it. I think I've mostly seen Nassif losing with it, though. Yeah, that makes sense. I haven't played against it or with it. I've just seen people like floating around trying to do stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Mostly, I like Goldspan Dragon in this format. It's going to be hard to tear me away from that card. <laughs> That's fair. Not even for uh, Saltai Ramp, Saltai Ultimatum. So I, I, I don't mind some Sultai Ultimato. I played that. Yeah. It, it's just... Alrin's Epiphany is a, a very similar card to uh, Nexus of Fate. Yeah. And it, I, I just like taking extra turns. Because Zero Point usually doesn't get that many after you do. No. I I really like binding the old gods, Yorion, and an Ultimatum. Like, that, that feels like a nice package to me. 
don't know, just like getting the land off of binding the old gods and being like, yep, I'm getting like the clock is ticking. Like that is putting me at ultimatum mana. Like you better be ready for this. Like that feels really good. It's going to be such a travesty when all the triomes rotate out and binding the old gods goes from like very good to unplayable. Well, you're going to have to play some snow duels in your deck to make it reasonable. I promise you, once the triangles rotate, I will not be playing Fighting of the Old Gods. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they certainly make it a lot better. But, wait, what set rotates with what set? Does Ikoria go in that rotation? Do we lose the ultimatums when we lose? Wait. Yeah. Oh, we, the, the, the triangles are set. in Ikoria. Yeah, so, yes. All right, so we lose when we lose the ultimatums... I'm, like, not going to be super into playing Binding the Old Gods anyways, so whatever. Like, come on, the, the sets from last year are all very discreet, and they flow. There's the uh, the storybook artifact thing, the enchantment god one, and then the triple color set. I think the fact that I... I mean, yeah, like, Eldraine I got to play with in paper a reasonable amount, but the fact that most of this happened without me, like, drafting it in person or picking up the cards and putting them in decks to go to tournaments with like really like makes it difficult for my brain to distinguish between the sets here or like when anything in particular is going to rotate like time has lost all meaning and so too has magic the gathering set releases that's gonna be much easier for me this year because all of the cards in the set that seem to be or all the cards this year that seem to be important are double-faced cards which could just be from anywhere this whole year. <laughs> yeah. True. And adventure cards are kind of double-faced cards, too. Yeah. Let's just have a whole year of just all double-faced stuff. I mean, having options is really good, as, you know, keeps getting, like, hammered into us with the cards that are playable. I, I honestly don't mind that direction. I, I really don't. No, same. But they do seem to be quite a bit better than a lot of the other stuff. Well, hopefully they fix that stuff too. Because, you know, Omnath was Omnath, right? That's the four color card? Yes. That card overstayed its welcome and it was only legal for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, two weeks of pain. <laughs> well, I mean, it's currently overstaying its welcome because it still exists in Pioneer and Modern. And I think it could be fine in modern, honestly. Like, I don't think the problem with modern stuff, excluding Tibble, mm -hmm. is Omnath of the card. It's more. Uro I think it's mostly yeah, Mystic Sanctuary. Mystic Sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. I, think I, I actually right. like Omnath. It's just, ooh, they overtuned it a little. Yeah. Whereas I don't like anything about Uro. <laughs> no, that card just kind of doesn't work. Like any way you put it together. Where it just, yeah. I mean, the, the way that card works is to design Kroxa, like make it a Kroxa. Like, okay, all of a sudden, like this is a totally fine card design that is like really healthy as a pillar of standard and et cetera, et cetera. I agree. I I don't want to bash her. I mean, I would love to bash her more, but, but it's I've done just it unnecessary at this point. Yeah, that horse is ex as dead as a horse can be. We can wait until it's banned in either modern or legacy, and then shit talk it a bunch. I'm fine with that. Well, we'll just throw a little party. Okay, okay. We can do that. It'll, I mean, it will be, you know, a grave, da dancing on Uro's grave party, but be in good spirits. Some cards are bad enough to deserve that level of 
uh, celebration. Yeah. And Uro is definitely one of them. Anyway, you want to do a question? Let's do it. All right. I pulled one from our Patreon, of course. Our Discord, I suppose. Uh, Lizard King asks, how do you keep motivated to continue to play Magic and keep up with the formats? Does making the podcast help with the motivation? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You can go first. Okay. Um, I mean, so I pretty much as always only play the Magic formats that I am having fun with, which recently has been quite a bit of Kaldheim draft and because I am enjoying that. Uh, if I'm not having fun, then I don't really play it. Most of the time I keep up with formats by reading articles, listening to other podcasts, talking to people and watching streams more than like getting into the trenches and like playing leagues really hard. I generally play in order to practice a deck. So like the podcast as motivation is motivation to like keep up with magic by paying attention to it and thinking about it and talking about it and and reading and watching stuff. So it it does help with motivation to like keep up with it. But as far as playing goes, like I have a certain amount of time that I can spend on playing games every day. Um, I mean, not every day. Like I that, that's really hard to I, I don't have time to play games every single day, but like on a weekly basis, I have a certain number of hours to play games. I'm only going to play games that I'm enjoying playing. And even for the sake of the podcast, like I'm not going to go play a bunch of Valky Modern and figure out what the best Valky deck is. Like this is just not happening. I'm not going to punishment. Yeah. Like that's not fun. That's not why I play games. It is way more fun to go on Twitter, see people complaining about Valky watch a couple of streams of like goofy Valky stuff happening, figure out what I think about that and then talk about it for 15 minutes on the podcast. There's no reason for me to go play games of that. As far as like pandemic, like staying motivated to play magic, you know, magic's a game and I play it when it's fun to me. And then when it's not fun, I don't bother. (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of my approach to it pretty much. That is basically my answer. I play Magic when it's fun. Sadly, like for the last year and a half, Magic has just not been that fun for me. (laughs) It's largely a function of all of the cards and formats Wizards has put forth. And there have been periods where it's good, like uh, after Omnath was banned and all all the standard formats following that. I, I played like a fair amount of standard then Mm -hmm. and it was nice but i haven't played pioneer in like months i haven't played modern in a little bit i i I like preparing for the the mana traders tournaments but that's mostly just like making sure i know it's in the format and playing a few games rather than like playing a ton Mm -hmm. and a lot of that is because i don't I've never really enjoyed playing online. It's just Magic is a really fun game, but I don't love the interfaces that I get to play Magic on. Like it's so much easier to play on paper, and it's just more enjoyable because mm-hmm. of the social aspect. And I haven't been able to do that. So, like keeping up with the podcast and the entertainment tournament has really sustained me keeping up with Magic because. I've just been playing other games, like uh, Legends of Terror is a big, big one. 
because it's also a digital card game that is really really fun i really enjoy it and like this uh this is the ninth we're recording this on the 19th in 10 days like next friday there's a seasonal tournament for legends of runeterra that i'm going to be playing in just because i've played enough that i'm in top x hundred masters <laughs> like that's just gonna happen i'm gonna be in the tournament again and i'm not like really gunning for qualifications or anything i've just been playing it because it's fun it's on my phone i can play it while i'm at work <laughs> yeah and i can't do that on magic i even tried i downloaded the magic arena app on my phone and Magic is just not a game that's very easy to play on mobile. There's way too much stuff to keep track of. No, and honestly, like, that really does extend to all the digital forms of Magic. Magic Online and Magic Arena are not... Like, Magic's a game that you play sitting across from somebody, ideally a friend, and you shuffle your cards and you put your cards on the table and you tell your friend what you are doing with the cards that, you know... like That's how it was designed. Yeah, like the, the the game is designed to be played this way and then you see it over and over and over again and like, you know, dealing with like, I'm attacking with 10 tokens, I need to block these 10 tokens. Like, well, in real life, it's very easy. This one's blocking a token, this one's blocking a token, this one's blocking a token. Online, it's like, okay, block this. I can't tell where these arrows are going. When you when I storm with grape shot and I have a grape shot for 25, I can be like, I'm grape shotting you for 25. And then we're done. Online, you have to click a million times. Like, all right, I'm grape shutting you. Storm trigger resolves. Click same targets like thirty times. Right, and, and that just like happens over and over and over again in every single format. Less so in standard because they're specifically designing for arena now. But like the game, just fundamentally, like was designed to be played with a friend on a table in person. And you know, there's a big loss of fun when you're not doing that. Uh, so if I didn't have like the podcast, I would probably still be keeping up with Magic, I, just because I like playing Magic, especially drafting. But it's like I don't think I would play any constructed with how predatory Magic Arena's model is. Mm -hmm. If I didn't play so much limited to do the like podcast episodes and then know what i'm talking about for standard just like translates really easily yeah i would not be spending like as much money as i do on magic arena for just not having anything to convert it into and stuff like that it is and i know we're getting so far off topic but yeah like after playing legends of runeterra for a little while and i didn't stick with it because it you know it just wasn't the game that totally appealed to me but holy crap you can just play legends of runeterra you can play any of the formats and you work towards completing your collection that way like that's just how the game works because it's a video game and like yeah you can spend money to speed up your collection but you just can't do that on arena if you draft every set religiously and are decent at draft like yeah you'll get there but you can't you don't get anywhere by playing constructed you get absolutely nowhere like like the quests are an absolute joke like the number of packs you have to open to complete a set is incredible and and you just don't get anywhere close by just playing magic like you could play constructed every single day and come nowhere close to completing the set before the next set comes out i as an experiment i did this between 
War of the Spark and Eldraine. Mm-hmm. You'll notice I skipped like the core set. Mm-hmm. I just saved all my gold from the end of War of the Spark to Eldraine. I didn't buy any of the core sets because I didn't care. I just crafted what I needed. That's like about 97,000 gold-ish, maybe 100,000. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in that range. I drafted a bunch of Eldraine until I was bored with the set, which didn't take super long because like a couple, maybe a couple days, but I was sick during one of them, so all I did was draft. <laughs> and the format got pretty bad towards the end where everyone was just like forcing uh, the milled Merfolk Seeker Keeper decks. Because that was still when bot drafting was a thing. Yeah, there, there was only bot drafting back then. And I finished my drafting. I had like 50k gold left over. Bought my fifty packs, and I had didn't have the set after spending literally entirely two days drafting. I only rare draft when I draft two because it's more efficient. <laughs> and then opened everything at the end, and I was not. I was like seventy percent out of the set mm-hmm. after saving for like four months beforehand. Yeah, and then spending two days drafting. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, compare that to other games i mean hearthstone doesn't have a great model but like i was free to play for a while in hearthstone back at the beginning of hearthstone and i had most of the like tier one competitive decks at any given time just because i played like quite a bit of hearthstone at that time and you got stuff by playing the game you just don't get anything by playing arena they they just like the season rewards too are such a joke. Like, congratulating with like your five packs. Five packs? Are you? <laughs> what? This was a month. A month. I made mythic. Here's five packs. Now you're back to platinum. What? Yeah. Try again next month, champ. Are you serious? Like this is what happens? Like this is the an the company very very clearly values money significantly more than like a wide player base or time or anything like that. Yeah, it's just, it's just disappointing. It's just like getting it is like getting kicked in the nuts over and over again. It's just really bad. It really it feels like it feels like you're getting disrespected, and it just bums me out that like I really do like playing Magic enough that I will put up with this bullshit. But, like, every time, like, I had a friend, and and she was like, my kids are getting really into magic. Like, they really like this game. And I'm like, that's awesome. And she was like, how, like, what what should I do? And I was like, well, you know, if they want to learn how to play better, they can play Arena, but I don't think they should. And, like, I, I didn't know what to tell her to, like, like get her, ki- help her kids, like, give them magic experiences because i just like didn't have a good place for them to go to play magic basically the price point of magic not just arena but like because it's pandemic especially arena it, it's just crippling yeah i mean the model needs to change it, it, it needs to never... be updated to sometime this century yeah i mean because it, it is like a 1993 based model like Every single decision that they made around Moto and and every single decision that they've made around Arena is based around the idea of buying random, randomly sorted booster packs that now have an MSRP or don't have an MSRP anymore, but you're supposed to buy them for four or five dollars a piece. Like, this is a video game. Like, that model doesn't work. Like, 
that's not what people are expected. Especially because that behavior is just banned in video games now. Right. <laughs> you just can't charge people for random things in many, many countries. And that's why they have to do so much nonsense. Like, they're terrified. You can't split event ticks in Modo. That is the currency in Modo, but you can't split them because they're terrified of it being interpreted as a, a form of money and then their their model becomes illegal in, like, the entire EU. Yes. I mean, Watsi lawyers are just cowards in general. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They They are really afraid of getting sued or getting banned somewhere. <laughs> Which is reasonable if your, like, stance then is to find a solution rather than to make sure you can keep your exact same thing as close as possible as you want it to be. Right. I without mean, making any changes. You're, you're totally right. It's just like a failure of imagination. It's just, how can we, like, this is magic. There's only one way to have it exist. And, I mean, th that just ain't true. That's why I'm, like, queuing for Legends of Runeterra tournaments accidentally and not playing Magic the Gathering to Mythic. It feels so good to get stuff for playing. You you play a couple of matches and you're like, ooh, like, I, here are cards. Like, I'm getting, I'm making progress towards my next tier one playable deck. That So that was the genius of Hearthstone. I know we're going on, like, tangents. I'm sorry, Lizard King. We, I hope we get a good job. But... <laughs> Like, I, I always thought it was so genius when Hearthstone came out, because it was, like, the first really good digital card game. Mm -hmm. There's just progress bars and experience things on everything. Mm -hmm. Everything had it. Like, your characters leveled up, the classes, you got cards that didn't mean anything. Stuff like that. It was just progress bars everywhere. Yeah. Every time you finish a game, you even got, like, a third of the way to getting like 10 gold or whatever it was some like really minuscule amount mm -hmm. it's just like a drop just to keep you playing more and it was genius because you just played to get the little tiny sliver of pixels to moving up the bar to get your next mostly meaningless reward and magic has tries to do that but it's so but the rewards it's it's yeah. just like it takes the meaninglessness to another level and it doesn't even do that well because sometimes I finish a game and like an uncommon pops up and I click it and it's just like an uncommon that I don't care about. Right. Or the it, it, there's a visual bug and you don't even see the card or whatever. Yeah. And then like that's it. And it, nothing really happens. Like nothing happens after the game. And in fact, the, the little rank up bar that fills up the little semicircles, they take so long. I hate that screen so much. It makes me not want to play ranked. Yeah. Like you can't click through it either. It's so annoying. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem is that, you know, magic is, you know, designed for limited, which I think is a good thing. Like limited existing is huge, but the other games don't really have that. So they don't need like magic just has way more cards with zero constructed implications whatsoever. There's so many more meaningless cards to have in your collection that are meaningful because of limited formats. And so there's just, you know, most booster packs of magic the gathering that you open if you're opening them for completing my collection to play standard magic most booster packs don't do anything for you so the reward of getting a booster pack is minuscule and that's what you like keep earning very very slowly whereas like you know 
Legends of Runeterra took the progress bar thing from Hearthstone and it was like, yeah, let's put a bunch of progress bars in. You level up like each of your factions and you get like packs that are like, you're gonna get a hero in this pack. You're gonna get an epic in this pack. Like get right, like get psyched about this pack that's coming up. And yeah, it's coming up. You see it. It's on a track. Right, right. And they took that progress bar thing and they were like, what if we put like real rewards on that? What if you felt like you were just like building towards completing a faction completing a deck completing your collection each time that you finished a game you were getting a little bit closer and it feels really good and that just like these like really basic game design philosophies were never applied to magic just out of this like i don't know attachment to how it worked in the past and just complete inability to fathom like giving anything to the players in exchange for their playtime. Yeah, I don't know where we go from here. I mean, it's just gotta keep complaining, right? Like, I, I, <laughs> I feel like we could complain for a long time. Yeah, I mean, go from here in the episode is go to the sign off because we've we've done what we can for today. But I legitimately think that it is important to keep bringing it up because I don't want to like through complacency communicate to our listeners like it's fine because the more you get, it's fine. The more the you know, the less just like general background outrage you have in your understanding of what's going on. But like I who was it? Was it Todd that brought up the Magic Arena is not okay thing earlier on Twitter? Yeah, I think maybe so. this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he and I hope more people who are like large in magic keep bringing that stuff up because that's how it gets traction. Mm-hmm. And I mean, complaining on Twitter is like kind of doesn't in the grand scheme of things amount to a whole bunch but it keeps happening and keeps happening Watsy's gonna have to do something yeah <laughs> hopefully yep i i hope so we'll see I, I mean i'll keep complaining about it i'll do my part oh yeah of course i'm not gonna stop complaining though honestly i try to complain less mostly you'll notice my twitter is less complaining and more of just like promoting a completely different thing which is kind of saying its own its own subject subtle version of the same thing yeah yeah mine is mostly complaining about capitalism which is related but different it's very related to this tangent yes but not not a direct criticism of the arena model that is likely to create any change (laughs) sure of course yeah, I mean, that's enough. But like, like, everybody gets the gist. We'll just bring this up, you know, next time it comes up, too. And we, we'll never drop it. So that's that's where we're at. Yeah, if you want to hear any more hot takes about the economy or capitalism, mm-hmm. you can join our patron. Uh, ask some questions in the Discord. <laughs> yeah. Happy, happy to talk about socialism, anti-capitalism, you know, any of that stuff. Head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast to become a patron and hang out and, you know, give us money in a in a capitalist way, I guess. <laughs> You're petering off. Well, I mean, I don't want to require money in order to live, but as long as I do and I'm putting effort into a thing that people value and like money is the only measurement of value in the way that our society is structured i don't think that it betrays my values in order to say like 
hey, it would be nice if you gave us some money for this. And it's also completely optional. Yes. Episodes are always free. Right. And that that's that's really the thing. Like please keep listening and not paying us money if that's what you'd rather do. I, I, we, we like like I value listeners apart from people who just give money. Like it's nice that people listen. Right. It really is. Right. And it's nice when people give money, but whatever. Whatever you want to do. It's cool. It's cool, man. I will say mostly if you give us money, you're funding by terrible draft stimulus packages I asked CCR to give me (laughs) (laughs) so I can put money into Arena (laughs) and draft for the podcast. You are funding draft stimulus packages for Lee until he can get on his feet. Uh, (laughs) You are funding uh, equipment for our streams and also for, you know, improving podcast recording and stuff. And that's pretty much where all of the money that we get goes to, so... But yeah, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. We do really, really appreciate your time. Uh, if you want to catch us on social media, where I mostly complain about capitalism, uh, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. Yeah, if you want to listen to me talking about like random stuff like Slay the Spire or Legends of Runeterra, <laughs> uh, I'm at Lee McLeo. I'll tweet some topical magic stuff, too, like how Vintage was great and Tybalt's terrible. But yeah, that, that's where you can find me. Yeah, That's really it for us. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye. <laughs>